for the week of comics that arrived in shops on June 9th, 2021. This is Polybagged, um, a look at some new comics I bagged this week, and this is part of the Comics Illibus podcast um, at multiversitycomics.com, uh, where we read widely and we dig deep as we try to do this week. Our first title is Good Asian number two. If you haven't jumped on this series already, it is not too late. I believe it's a nine-issue mini um, written by Pornsick Pinachote. Um, with art by Alexander Defengi, uh, colors by Lee Lowridge, cover by Dave Johnson, and my apologies that so far on Polybagged, we I haven't always given shout outs to the cover artists. I want to make sure I do that and try to get better at that. Um, Good Asian number one came out a month ago and made quite a, quite a, quite a critical splash, <laughs> if I could get those words out of my mouth, um, with the story of a, um, a cop um, in 1930s, 40s era, um, California, but the cop is a Chinese American, um, which in the, um, amidst the racism of that time period and, um, in California, uh, he's a cop in, in Hawaii, um, no such thing would be permitted in the, um, exclusionary, uh, white culture of California at that time, but there he is and as it turns out he was um, Raised in the household of a, of a wealthy uh, white man who is in, now in a coma and he's sort of brought back home um, as a cop um, and really standing in between lots of different characters and trying to figure out some um, some pretty uh, dark happenings uh, dealings the uh, image that you can see to to my side here and at the bottom yes those are maggots uh so just to be warned that just a little content warning of that kind of stuff um as well as other things including um some pretty extreme racism um which um kind of uh you know indigenous to that time um i have loved the noir quality of this story but really applied to really showing and asking questions about Asians in America um, historically and in many ways with vestiges still today as uh, it, easy to invisibilize, to exclude, to exploit. Um, and then what agency is there for um, Asians to find a rootedness um, in, in U.S. society. Um, and so um, uh, Good Asian 2 kind of moves the, the the chess pieces forward in the story i don't think i want to get too much into it because i'm not sure what is a spoiler yet and what is not i try to be a uh, spoiler i i think i'll call it polybag will be spoiler friendly where we won't give away key things but um we do want to assume some knowledge of the story so if you if you don't want to hear anything you know we won't come in cold but um good asian hero edison hark um represents so much to me uh, about how Chinese Americans have reckoned with the status of Chinatowns um, as yet another sort of enclave of immigrant life where white U.S. culture clearly uses and abuses people from these communities where they're a necessary part at the bottom of social structures as scapegoats, as you know, instruments of class control or whatever. Um, and Pichichot and Tefengi just kind of depict all that with um, what feels to me like great comics truth. Um, and with that kind of um, disillusioning illusion 
that noir stories provide. So I'm enjoying Good Asian number two. Um, maybe next month when we come around, we can talk a little bit more about what's happening. with. Um, but next, we move on to X-Men 21. Now, this is the last issue of Jonathan Hickman's X-Men writing run for the X-Men title proper. Hickman moves on from here in his, um, you know, since House of X and Powers of X and this whole Dawn of X and Reign of X and Krakoa uh, generation of the X-Men. Uh, he moves on from here to write a new title called Inferno. And meanwhile, Jerry Duggan's coming to take over um, the main X-Men title and re restarting at number one. But X-Men number 21 sees um, Hickman um, in the middle of the Hellfire Gala event um, with a row of incredible artists. Um, I was surprised to find out that among the artists for this issue was one of my favorites, Nick Dragata. Um, I was surprised to find out that among the row of amazing artists on this issue um, was Russell Dowderman, who um, drew these incredible designs that we've seen for Hellfire Gala, um, as well as Nick Dragata, one of my favorites, who I, I had no idea was doing some X-Men pages with, with Hickman. Um, this, this is as Nick Dragata a page as you can imagine. You know, there's just all these classic um, Nick Dragata. That, this could be East of West. Um, but instead, what it is is Magneto and Namor. And at this Hellfire Gala, which has been a pretty cool event, um, I, I think, um, really, it is very much indeed a big old party that Krakoa is throwing and inviting, you know, superheroes and dignitaries and celebrities and, you know, there's all kinds of real celebrity cameos and all that kind of stuff, which, uh, you know, it's fun. I, I, I like it. Um, but uh, Dragata, Donnerman, uh, Lucas Wernick and Sarah Pacelli provide art in four different segments of the story that that are kind of advancing the intrigue and actually set the stakes even higher because this issue ends with something happening. Um, something has happened by the end of this gala that I couldn't figure out and my sense about it is that we, we're not supposed to know because we have you know, some more issues of the story yet to go and we're going to find out. So in a, in a typical uh, sort of Hickman storytelling kind of fashion, um, we, uh, we just have a lot of Krakoan intrigue. Um, I think this was a very strong closing issue. You know, ending at 21 just is is Hickman's way of playing with our usual expectations and his leaving this title is by no means um, any indication that he won't continue to, this writing and, and, and artist team won't continue to toy with us in this uh, um, X-Men Krakoa thing. Um, also, excitingly, we were introduced to the new team of X-Men that includes Polaris and Sync and X-23 and Jean and Scott and, uh, anyway, off the top of my head. I'm also forgetting to, to shout out Rachel Rosenberg, Frank Martin, Sonny Go, Matt Wilson, and letters by Clayton Coles, of course. Um, so X-Men 21, fantastic wrap-up to what has been uh, certainly a thrill ride. Uh, of Hickman's run on the main X-Men book um, during this Dawn of X, Reign of X period. Next, we come to Wonder Woman 773, um, written by Becky Coonan and Michael Conrad with art by Travis Moore. Um, this is the fourth and culminating uh, issue of a short uh, arc that has seen Diana somehow 
appearing in the Norse um, Valhalla, you know, afterlife uh, of Norse mythology. And so you very much have Thor and Odin and um, the Valkyries and all those sorts of characters. Yggdrasil, how do you pronounce that tree? <laughs> Retatosk, you know, the squirrel uh, on her shoulder. And she's um, been on this, this journey of, you know, first kind of entering this ritual of daily warfare and sort of meeting and falling for this character, Siegfried. Um, who then disappears uh, along with the Valkyries and she's trying to find the Valkyries. And so she kind of goes through the run of, of running into various um, characters of Norse mythology and then has run into, and I won't give away again the, 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 the story, but um, runs into familiar characters from the DC and the Diana universe. And it all comes together in its fourth issue. I thought that the story started a little bit stronger than it ended for me, but still satisfying. Um, Becky Cloonan and Michael Conrad show that they really know how to write, um, you know, a good Valkyrie story. And to consider, and the story kind of does, a comparison of who Diana is, who Wonder Woman is, um, to the Valkyries relative to the male-dominated um, Norse gods and and as guardians and so on um, is pretty interesting. Uh, Travis Moore's art continues to stun. This is a page that actually looks a little bit different from the style that I see in the other pages, but I think it um, conveys the sort of the sort of epic, you know, operatic grandeur that this story has reached for. Um, I like it. I think, as usual, in a lot of um, Wonder Woman stories, I wish that there were more depth and, and, and maybe some more layers to Diana at herself as a character. I think my favorite writers of Wonder Woman find ways to do that even while she is this sort of noble and ideal figure. And I think sometimes uh, in this story, Clunan and Conrad uh, and more rely a little bit more on everyone else to be interesting around Diana. Um, nonetheless, I think the journey that she goes on in this story is an interesting contemplation of power and warfare and and feminine, what these godlike characters are responsible for. It's an interesting Wonder Woman, and I'm, I'm excited for this Clooney and Conrad run. Uh, now we come to Eve number two from Boom Studios, uh, written by Victor Laval and art by Jomi Jung, and apologies for not listing it here, colors by um, Brittany Pierce and letters by Anne World Design. Um, Eve number two uh, follows uh, on the first issue of this book, which introduced us to um, a little girl who's whose um, scientist father has raised her. As it turns out from a distance, um, she's actually been a body in a tank, but in her mind, um, she's been growing and learning in this virtual world where she's adventurous and she knows her father and interacts with him. In fact, in reality, he's up in space where everybody has fled after environmental collapse and the world needs, um, uh, needs replanting really restoring after you know climate catastrophes have made um, the atmosphere unlivable and so um, there's a, an AI robot Wexler who's there to school and to guide Eve um, the name obviously very meaningful as somebody who's meant to help to repopulate the earth um, and uh, you know and Wexler the AI robot has to 
be familiar and comfortable, so takes on the form of a familiar teddy bear, which is a gift from Eve's mother. Um, and the climate apocalypse, as we found out, find out in issue two, has left um, humans as kind of mindless, perpetually hungry, uh, cannibalistic, well, zombies. Um, and, you know, I, I really loved issue one. Um, I, I think you got me when you are talking about um, stories that point to the impending disaster for us if we don't dramatically address uh, climate change and uh, and stories that too show us that young people um, are our hope in our future I mean especially when we're talking about kids of color and and you know third that that really kind of explore the scientific and the moral and the the, the bio, bioethical kind of questions that accrue around the ways that we careen into unsustainability um, which just kind of keep compounding the more that you think about it um, I could have to be honest done without more zombies but I think um, you know I, I want to give it time and I, I have loved Victor Laval's uh, comics in the past, uh, the way that he's explored monsters and the monstrous. Um, so I think it'll be uh, really interesting. Um, and uh, and I'm going to give this story, um, well, I'm, I'm, you know, pulling this story for its entire run. Might be a four or five issue, I think, um, story. And um, yeah, check out Eve. Um, you know, if you see this art, what I'm talking about in the story, if it kind of pulls on those interests for you as well, then I think... Uh, you'll like Eve number two. And um, now we come to Far Sector 12. Uh, Far Sector 12, I just breathe a sigh because it, Far Sector always reminds me of what a year we've had. Um, N.K. Jemisin is um, well one of my favorite contemporary writers, let's just put it that way. And when Young Animal, which this is maybe the last gasp of Young Animal left, um, launched this series with Jemison writing, you know, a DC Comics character, a Green Lantern character, no less, um, with art by Jamal Campbell, whose art I, I utterly love. You know, Campbell also does the colors and everything all around. Letters are by Darren Bennett. Far Sector was one of my favorite series of 2019. <laughs> and though it was a 12-issue limited series, of course, it hit against COVID and the and a huge pause in public publishing schedule and became bi-monthly. Um, and meanwhile, I have you know my stack of, of Far Sector right here that I've been collecting and eagerly waiting issue 12. And um, I gotta tell you the truth. Um, where Joe Mullen's story's, story has gone um, and uh, really all that this book has done um, and even the way that, you know, Sojourner Mullen com continues to live in the new um, Green Lantern series by Jeffrey Thorne and Dexter Soy and so on. Um, it's one of my favorite things going on in comics right now. Um, the story had um, N.K. Jemisin's knack for how sci-fi could really pose questions. There is a, you know, a far sector <laughs> where a planet of three interdependent cohabiting cohabitating species um, have lived without a, a single murder for 500 years partly because of something called an emotion exploit that has sort of dulled the emotional life of every living you know alien or AI creature on the planet um, so what does it mean when they um, have a murder, uh, in fact a series of murders, call upon a, a powered and in fact powered by 
her emotional conviction, right? This, this character of Sojourner Mullen, uh, to, to come and to help them not only solve the questions of these murders, but also to, as it turns out, try to broker a peace between a, a, a bubbling tension among people who don't know how to identify or recognize their own emotions. Um, totally fascinating story, incredibly illustrated by Jamal Campbell. You know, give Jamal Campbell all the awards. <laughs> and, um, and really, this has been one of my favorite comics of the past couple of years. So much so that I'll be honest with you, I, I can't even bring myself to read issue 12 yet. I haven't finished it. I've got it in the stack. And um, well, I'm just going to have to talk about the whole series sometime on Comic Syllabus. Um, <laughs> but that's Far Sector 12, definitely on my polybagged pull list. Um, some honorable mentions, uh, Detective 1036. Um, I've been enjoying Batman Urban Legends and this anthology of shortish Gotham stories with different heroes. DC Pride number one, celebrating Pride Month, hooray, um, is out this month as well, uh, out this week as well, I should say. In Marvel, Excalibur and Children of the Atom continue the health, Hellfire Gala um, storyline. And a um, not very well-known, but... Um, interesting little title called the W.E.B. of Spider-Man. As it turns out, Web stands for, I can't remember, some kind of engineering brigade, I think. But it turns out to be this um, maybe kind of side series that's targeted for kids. Uh, but you got Moon Girl, you got, um, and of course, where you got Moon Girl, you got Devil Dinosaur. You got, of course, Peter Parker. You've got um, a, a Wakandan genius. You've got Squirrel Girl. Um, just some really smart smarties who are recruited by Tony Stark to use their engineering skills for good. Um, this has STEM comics <laughs> for, for kids written all over it, and I'm here for it. So Web of Spider-Man is on my list. Um, over at Image, I have been super intrigued by this story, um, Guillaume March's Carmen, kind of an exploration of, you know, immediately after death afterlife and the sort of lingering ghost in the world still trying to interact and figure out unresolved things and it comes to a really really nice point in in Carmen number four um, wind number seven from boom um, from James Tinian uh, black hammer visions this week uh, black hammer visions number five uh, not number two sorry correct correction there um, written by Kelly Thompson um, with art by Leonardo Romero and so um, that awesome team is um, now working on a, I forgot what the character's name from the Black, Black Hammer world, Skull Digger or something like that. Um, so I just love that creative team. So it's going to be cool to, to read Black Hammer Visions 5. And then um, uh, Osayevo, Kwanzaa Osayevo and um, uh, Smith III had written a series called Black and some follow-up Black AF titles from Black Mask, and now they come out with White uh, about this world in which, um, you know, superpowers exist, but they, um, but they uh, are, are, are given to, to just Black folks. And uh, so White, I think, is meant to explore um, the other side of that coin. And finally, Six Sidekicks of Trigger Keaton is a new series from um, Kyle Starks and Chris Schweitzer at Image, um, a team that knows how to bring the fun into the funnies. So um, that series about, um, I think, a Hollywood Chuck Norris type who, 
who passes away and whose many um, uh, sidekicks, uh, Chuck Norris, I should say, uh, but hated by all. <laughs> to my knowledge, Chuck Norris is not hated by all, but a, Chuck, but a, but a sort of Chuck Norris actor who is, uh, who is despicable to, to everyone, including his sidekicks, who now come together to try to, to I don't know, solve his murder or figure Anyway, it's going to be a ton of fun. Um, these are the comics on my on my list, and uh, let me know what you're reading. And you know, for this whole episode, uh, once again, as I said at the top of the audio podcast, um, uh, we have a, a, a feed that includes the video. We have an audio only weekly feed. Um, love it if you would subscribe and follow and like and spread the word. And, I don't know, retweet whatever, and help us let folks know about comic syllabus. And you know, um, since returning, I I'd love to hear from from all of you. I haven't heard from um, from listeners yet, and I uh, just love to get some feedback. Um, uh, you know, be gentle. Uh, I'm still working out a lot of the kinks on how to do this video thing um, and how to merge it into an audio show and how to make that sustainable in a in a you know out of pocket expense kind of thing that I do just because I like connecting with you about comics and you know we will just keep on um, reading widely and digging deep and um, thank you for joining. Love your feedback. Love to know what's on your pull lists and um, your thoughts about Black Star and Megascope. Um, what you what you're reading and what you'd like to see us talk about here at comic syllabus all right thank you take care have a great week